0: Hello and welcome to the Writer's Mindset with me, Christina Adams.
1: And me, Ellie Betts.
0: Each week we're here to help you persevere through the tough times, be your most productive self and get that
1: work in progress published. Wherever you are in your publishing journey, we've got your back. Today we're talking about how to write epic endings. shout out to our podcast patrons for all of your support.
0: As a patron, you'll get early access to episodes, the chance to submit questions for our guests and access to our bonus series, Healthy Habits.
1: Healthy Habits isn't your typical productivity advice. We're not here to tell you to get up at 4am and go for a three hour run.
0: Hell no. We're exploring the latest research to find small changes you can make in your life to be happier, healthier and more productive in your writing life and beyond.
1: To start developing healthier habits today, Come join our community at patreon.com forward slash writer's mindset.
0: Before we start, I just wanted to let you know that I've got a new course. It's all about how to write brilliant backstories. We're going to take a look at why your backstory matters, the type of things you might need to know, how to avoid the dreaded info dump, and some common things that may impact your character's lives such as their upbringing or their work situation. All this stuff, even if it doesn't make it into your book, is really good marketing content and let's not forget that it will give your characters more depth helping you with everything from your world building to how much of an emotional relationship your readers form with your characters. And the deeper that relationship is, the more likely they are to keep reading, to read your next book, to read your next series, and to recommend your book to their friends. So if you would like to find out more, visit writerscookbook.com forward slash backstory. And don't forget that podcast patrons get 10% off all our courses at the Writer's Cookbook. Today, we are talking about how to write your book's climax or how to write epic endings this is a really important part of a book and if you're the type of person like me where for like i don't know 10 15 yeah we'll say 15 years you kind of stopped and started on a lot of projects didn't get to the end very often you might struggle with writing that and there's no shame in that
1: that's why we're here absolutely and it's definitely something that i am working on whilst writing my first book and I hasten to add using some examples as cautionary tales. Not that we'll name any names here.
0: Yeah, we don't want to name and shame, but we want to give you examples of things that left us personally as readers or watchers unsatisfied because it's really annoying. I can't
1: let it go. I'm sorry. No, don't let it go because frankly, if you have... That, that epic ending, if you have that perfect climax for your story, people are going to remember it. People are going to like the story more. People are going to come back for more if it's a series. It's very important to nail it as well as you can.
0: Yes, that's very true. So let's dive in into our first tip which is something that's very important to me and everything that I write. This is something I do a lot. Ellie will be familiar with this, and so will my readers. And if you listen to the show, you'll know that I take a character-centric approach to writing. And that means that when it comes to the climax of any of my books, but particularly if it's the end of a series, I push my characters really hard, like harder than... May be comfortable.
1: You do like to make them suffer and it's great. And honestly, it's excellent. It's uh, definitely a good feature of your books. <laughs>
0: Thank you. I, I believe that if your climax feels too easy for you to write, then it's too easy for your characters, which means it's not as satisfying for your readers as well. And also... When you are stretching your characters, then it's going to improve your writing skills and make your book stronger because of it. And you're therefore going to become a much stronger writer. Because I feel like what I did in The Witch's Sacrifice, for example, that was, I think the final version was version 3 or 2.5 of the ending. And... I pushed Edie as hard as I possibly could because I knew that there were so many mental and magical barriers, and potentially physical, but mostly magical, barriers she had to overcome in order to get the outcome that the family needed, that essentially the world needed to save everyone. And if I had gone with the original version, it wouldn't have been as satisfying to read. I have a dog who wants to crash. So...
1: Millie's just turned up to tell you that you need to make sure your ending's really good. It's important to Millie as a dog.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Millie knows a lot about storytelling from all the TV we watch together. Isn't that true? So, if it's too easy for your characters, it's just not going to be as satisfying for your readers. I'm sorry, dog. I, I can't hold you too heavy. There we go. It's not about being super twisty and unpredictable and trying to outsmart everyone. It's not about being the smartest person in the world. Because the smartest person in the world is not the one who has the most convoluted plot or uses the biggest words. It's the person who does things clearly and almost triggers that aha moment in your readers.
1: Absolutely. Yes, I agree. You don't have to have fancy words to make a good story or to make a a book worth reading. It's about the characters like
0: if it's a plot centric book even then I don't think you have to be super smart with it and we're going to cover twists and baits and switches and stuff later but even if you're writing something plot centric if it's too easy for your main character even if they're the smartest person in the world it's still kind of shit and this actually reminds me a bit of a conversation my boyfriend and I were having last night we were talking about Marvel and the possibility that they might bring in Dr. Doom to the future films now that Disney's got the rights for Fantastic Four again. And he was saying that in one of the comic book iterations, Dr. Doom defeats Thanos. And I was like, for how? Dr. Doom doesn't have any powers. Thanos is a purple alien. And he said, yeah, but it's about how intelligent they are and they have to come up with a really great plan and then execute that plan. And that's kind of what you want to do with your books is you want to give your character that really great plan that shows them to be the smartest person in the world, even though they're twisting themselves into all sorts of different weird, awkward positions to get there.
1: I like that. I've never thought about it that way before. But just thinking about some of the endings that, that come to mind when you say that, that makes sense. So you've got to outsmart them. That That's really satisfying to read and to watch. You know, it's it's a good way to do it. Exactly, and if you think
0: about it, that's kind of what happens in Endgame, which Ellie still needs to watch. Because it is the smartest person in the room who defeats Thanos, it's not the person with the most powers. And certainly in the superhero genre, I do think that's important because it's very easy for it to become all about magic and powers and look what I can blow up with my mind. And certainly some of it is going to go in that direction. But it is deeply satisfying knowing that someone with very human traits and very great technology and a brilliant mind can still overcome someone like Thanos or Batman can defeat Superman, that sort of thing. It grounds it, particularly in a genre that is inherently not grounded at all.
1: Yeah, I think you keep having a dig at me for not watching Endgame and all this uh, that they Big movies, but I think I got bored of those superheroes. The stuff I've been watching Marvel wise is like Moon Knight, which I really enjoyed, Ms. Marvel, which I really enjoyed. It's those grassroots, kind of more relatable characters that I've been getting more out of recently. But maybe I'll watch Endgame and stuff eventually.
0: I think it's worth watching them, if nothing else, and to analyze how they do it. And because it will make some of the things and the references that happen in the later TV shows make sense. I've seen some of the TV shows. I absolutely adore WandaVision. I've got some posters to go on my wall that I keep getting up. And I enjoyed Moon Knight. I'm behind on some of the others, purely because I'm binge-watching comfort shows. But I got bored of origin stories. That was my issue. I like that the stakes are getting bigger and the characters are being pushed harder because you know there's a reason that spider-man um whatever the first one was homecoming i think wasn't an origin story because they knew people were bored of spider-man origin stories right
1: yeah that that particular origin story has been done once or twice so i can understand that i don't know i kind of like an origin story i like i like that point where the character goes from their normal everyday boring human life to oh shit now what do we do? I've got to deal with these powers, I've got to work out these enemies, I've got to work out how to live in this whole new world. And I quite like that little Yeah and
0: I think now that they've got more diverse characters it's more interesting again because there are different elements to it that they couldn't explore before and certainly when I read paranormal women's fiction I do enjoy that element of how they get to grips with their powers and stuff and the series I really enjoyed last year and finished this year you know the first few books were her getting to grips with her powers and then kind of if you treat it as like the whole series following your typical hero's journey or heroine's journey. It's probably heroine's journey. You know, you get to like book eight, and that's your big climax with the big bad. And it was so good. Like the love interest sacrificed himself, the whole town was involved. It it was ginormous. But then there were still like three or four books left and That ending I found deeply unsatisfying because it was too easy. The penultimate book in the series, like there's a novelette to wrap things up that I haven't read because I was so annoyed at this penultimate book. There was no big fight scene. There was no real conflict, there was no real pressure, the writing self outrushed because this person had been rapidly releasing one book a month for a year, and I don't even know if that includes her other genres or other pen names. And I can't even tell you how much that ending pissed me off, because I'd invested so much time in reading this series, and then it was all solved with a conversation.
1: Yeah, that's infuriating. When you read, particularly when you read that many books or even watch that many episodes or films you want the ending to feel like it was worth getting through all that right you don't want all of that to be irrelevant for the ending to just be fixed like that you know that's kind of my next point really is i watched a whole series recently which i absolutely adored and i was mad at myself for not watching sooner because it was so good throughout the series and then in the final episode the main character just fixed everything she didn't have to fight it wasn't even a physical fight it wasn't like any kind of mental struggle it wasn't anything she had to overcome it just she decided no no let's do it like this and it cut and everything was fixed and she went off happened well i don't I don't want to say happily ever after but she um got something that she wanted that was just so out of the blue and just wonderful.
0: would you call it a happy for now
1: yeah i guess it's a happy for now i mean I don't want to I don't want to give specifics like you said, we don't want to name and shame anyone here, even if it is a big company that I'm referring to. I don't want to name and shame and I don't want to put people off. But I found it so unsatisfying for her to just decide everything was fixed and just wander off into the distance, happy and satisfied and not having to have fought for any of it. And it's that's that was just a fizzle. It wasn't a climax. It was just a fizzle. And that left me very unsatisfied.
0: Yeah, I can imagine because I saw the first episode of that TV show that you're referring to and it did feel easy for the character. Certainly, like there were some great lines of dialogue in it and I enjoyed that first episode, but certainly compared to some of the ones in the same genre, what the character went through in that first episode, like they weren't pushed as hard as other characters were because they wanted to get past that and get into the more genre-y stuff if you will rather than the piloty scene setting stuff that always comes with the first episode.
1: Work through some stuff so it didn't feel like the ending was going to be that bad you know it didn't feel like the ending was going to be that disappointing but I was very mad. <laughs> I have a friend who is also a listener and I hope he hears this and he'll know exactly what I'm talking about. But we had a big argument, well, a big discussion about it and he really liked it. And I was just like, how, how can you like this? It's got X, it's got Y, or oh, should I say it's not got X, it's not got Y, it's not got Z, you know, and um, yeah, he still thinks it's great and I still think it was terrible and we're going to probably um, have many arguments about this ending forever. So if you're listening, you know who you are. So yeah, the main takeaway there is if you're building up to an ending, any kind of ending, it should be big. Don't just let it fizzle out.
0: I think that ties really nicely onto our next point, which is that you want to have them overcome something like generally it has to be their fatal flaw for example like in a romance it's often someone is afraid of love for xyz reason and they have to overcome that with like some sort of big romantic gesture to then get their happy for now or happily ever after it it doesn't have to be a big epic fight scene i think that can be the misconception like if you're writing some genres like fantasy particularly epic fantasy probably does have to be a big fight scene because otherwise it's not going to feel as satisfying but if you're writing like I say something I hasten to say smaller but something more grounded in the real world then it can be something mental and that's something that I do in the What Happened In series and also in the Hollywood Gossip series you know there are no fight scenes in that well I do have one character get beaten up but like it's not that's not part of the climax, that's the main character overcoming, not main character, that's a character overcoming something. And I do think that it is harder to write when you're overcoming something psychological, because being entirely honest, a lot of us haven't overcome our own psychological barriers. And if we haven't done that, how can we write that for our characters?
1: Absolutely. I think quite often, personally, that mental thing to overcome that that character arc where they've got to face that part of themselves and work through it i prefer that i find that more interesting than just a load of people turn up hit each other one of them wins you know i know that's that's massively oversimplifying fight scenes but personally i that doesn't that's not as satisfying as an ending for me although quite often it's good and i i don't dislike those fight scenes but Personally, I think I would relate more to people overcoming those internal issues and having to fight that, you know, having to work towards that is a satisfying ending.
0: Yeah, and there is a way that you can combine the two. For example, that's what I did in The Witch's Sacrifice, right? In order to fight, Edie had to overcome her own barriers. Um, It does require a bit of a mindfuck, which is why I would recommend... Obviously, keep listening to this podcast episode and also checking out Sasha Black's book, 13 Steps to Evil, because that really got me thinking about how easy I was making life for my characters at the climax and how if I did the rewrite, even though I didn't really want to do the rewrite, it would be much more satisfying for me and also for readers. And based on the reader response, I do think it worked. Not to brag or anything. That sounded really big. then. <laughs>
1: it didn't sound big-headed because you're right it did work it was really satisfying ending there was that build-up almost throughout the whole few last few books as you said that build-up was there and that ending felt satisfying as a reader it felt you know even funnier hmm? you
0: know what's even funnier I didn't plan for that ending, obviously, because I rewrote it, but I realized retrospectively I'd been leaving the breadcrumbs since book one, and I had no idea.
1: See, your subconscious writer is even better than your conscious writer, and you just don't know. Yeah, pretty
0: much, yeah. I I think that's the interesting thing, is the fact that I'd left these breadcrumbs, so on some subconscious level, I knew I had to do the things that happens at the end of book four, and... I, I kind of needed to hear it from Sasha to actually take that leap and go, oh, yeah, I've got to do this. But the hard part then wasn't doing the thing. It was getting them out of that situation and making I've, it hard enough.
1: I've done that a few times where I've read a sort of writing craft book, particularly when you read someone who's really great like Sasha Black. You know, we're big Sasha Black fans over here. But you read that book and you think, oh, of course you have to do it like that. I knew this, I I knew this somewhere deep down. It's not, I wouldn't say it's obvious, but you you know, it's one of those things you think, oh yeah, of course. But sometimes just reading it in that format or just, you know, experiencing, it's not even just reading, sometimes writing courses and stuff do the same thing. You go, oh yeah, of course I have to do it that way. Why wasn't I doing it this way? (laughs) Like
0: my backstory course might trigger that kind of thought process.
1: Oh, I saw what you did there. I set you (laughs) up for that little plug perfectly and completely accidentally, but yes, that's exactly right. And your backstory informs your character arc and the
0: character arc you want your character to have should inform your climax because your character arc is all about these little challenges that they have that forces them to start facing their fatal flaw. And at the end in the climax, it should be that moment where they overcome that fatal flaw and it's no longer fatal. Or if you're going for something a bit more sad then maybe that they don't overcome it and it's essentially what kills them or ruins their
1: life in a different way everything's connected look it all makes sense
0: (laughs) yeah and obviously you can do a circular arc as well which is something we've covered in a previous episode on character arcs but you have to be really careful with that because that's probably the number one way you're most likely to piss people off
1: yes exactly I actually watched a horror film on Netflix the other day and again I'm not gonna name and shame because you know but at the time I thought oh this is interesting this is quite new I've not seen it kind of done in this way before but it had that it had the elements that I thought she was going to have to overcome that internal struggle she had kind of you know I mean I feel like mental health issues is too much of an umbrella term these days but you know what I mean she had a lot going on and I've I thought that part of the story then was going to be her having to face that and come to terms with it. And in actual fact, it wasn't, you know, the, the big bad kind of just got, you know, shoved in a incinerator. And so (laughs) it wasn't that satisfying as an ending. And also, Someone she was close with got got killed by this big bad, like halfway through or whatever. And that was never brought up again and never mentioned. And she, she was kind of quite dependent on this person. And then the ending was, I'm fine now. I'm really strong. I can face any, everything. Well, when did you come to that conclusion? Because <laughs> was it just the shock of this big bad that made you decide that you can face anything now? It, fe- it felt really unsatisfying in retrospect because it was just too easy for her like you say
0: yeah if you want a good example of that because what you described sounds like a bad example of an extended metaphor for mental health i would highly recommend the babadook not only because it's got one of my favorite actors in but also because i think it does things like a circular arc sort of circular arc and mental health particularly grief metaphor in the horror genre extremely well i feel like i need to re-watch it because i remember watching it not realizing it was an extended metaphor and then like i read about it read about it after as a lot of neurodivergent people do and i was like oh shit that's genius so now i need to go back and analyze it knowing these things because the breadcrumbs were there my brain just didn't make the connection because it was too busy trying not to shit a brick because it was scary
1: yeah the babadook is excellent at doing that i don't think this film was necessarily going for the extended metaphor thing i think it was just trying to tick boxes i guess it is, for one of was. a better term
0: yeah People like box ticking exercises
1: no don't do it no no Make it work work harder <laughs> damn it. yes if you get it if it, your main character has mental health issues then have it there for a reason don't have it there for the sake of it you know, people don't have mental health issues for fun. Like, it's not some, like, hobby. <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> <chose> my <laughs> my favourite pastime, depression. Um, no, don't do it like that. <laughs> I think I just broke Christina. <laughs> you did. <laughs> Well, uh, right into my bad mood we're, the, we're at that point now we're joking about depression that's I mean, that's the state like, of the be world totally
0: honest i am of the mindset that if you don't laugh you'll cry <laughs> so yeah i make jokes like i have a dark sense of humor it's in my books you know so i don't
1: you can even see on camera my eyes are watering from like <laughs> really <laughs> your, your point my my point yes going back to the points one of my favourite techniques I've seen recently is tying everything together. So I've spoken about the Dresden Files a few times on this series, I'm a big fan. And when I was reaching the end of that series, it felt like everything from previous books was coming together. And it's like 14 books, 17 books? You'd think I'd remember, I've read them all. But <laughs> this- things in that ending which was huge and really satisfying and it felt difficult and it was like it was actually one of those big physical fights that we talked about but there were still elements of the main character Harry having to overcome a lot of his internal issues and things like that but in terms of the fight and everyone coming together there was stuff that was happening stuff that was going on that felt like it had been set up in book one or book two very well it's over 10 books then because i can't remember the exact amount 15 i can't remember but there was stuff from way back that felt like it was still important at this ending and he actually wrote the last two books a few years after the the ones before it which is interesting i don't know if he decided to take the time to do a really good job Maybe there's some research on that, but there, there were lots of elements coming together and that felt really satisfying. You don't want your ending to feel completely out of the blue. You don't want your characters facing a big fight and they just find like magic weapons from out of nowhere and all these easy things, you know, you don't want. There's a word for it where they have this magical thing that just fixes everything. What's it called? Deus Ex Machina thing. Did I mispronounce that? You know what I mean? You don't want it to be bad. I had no idea how to pronounce it either, or I was about to Google it. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair, because, you know. <laughs> but you don't want the the fix or the ending or that to just be out of the blue. It makes those earlier books or those earlier episodes or those earlier films in the series feel worthwhile watching. It makes them feel more important. And then having it come all the way at the end is is a satisfying ending. It's a good way to do it. And I think the problem is, if you don't put the work in to do
0: some level of planning or thinking ahead, then you are more likely to write yourself into a hole and end up with that kind of... For want of a better way of putting it, an act of God that saves people. Because that's basically what I hate saying it because I don't know if I'm saying it right. Do just deuce... No, I've no idea how to say it. I'm not gonna try. But but it is like contrived and unsatisfying and awkward, and it pisses people off. But on the other hand, there are ways to do an open-ending well. One of my favorite books, The Storyteller by Jodie Pico, that's a standalone, and it ends with a moral question. The main character is cover your if you don't want spoilers but the main character is basically asked by someone she knows to kill him like th- this guy who long story short he worked in the concentration camps during world war ii and he's in his 90s since then he has worked very hard to be an upstanding member of society but the book all the way through leaves these breadcrumbs of like well does everything he's done since absolve him of what he did then and it's a very hard question and this main character she, she's from a Jewish family but she doesn't identify as Jewish and she is asked to kill the character and it ends basically in that scene you never know if she does it or not because it's It puts the question to the reader. It's about what would you do? It's not about what the main character would do. And I think that that is something that not many writers could pull off, but that Jodi Pico's readers do expect because she does raise a lot of moral questions. She does do a lot of research. She is also from a Jewish family, but doesn't identify as Jewish. And... Yeah I, I think it's just a very powerful ending that has always stuck with me and I'm notoriously bad at remembering other people's
1: stories. That's what we were saying earlier right if you nail that ending if you nail that climax it makes the book more memorable people are gonna think on it years maybe after they're finished reading it right? Yeah exactly and it's been probably nearly 10 years since that
0: book came out and I even analyzed it for one of my pieces of uni work. and yeah it just really really stuck with me out of all the books i've read it is one of my favorite books it's probably the endings that stuck with me the most i think are the storyteller and gone girl because they both fit the genre and go against what you expect but still feel satisfying and leave you with questions and i know there are some people who don't like those kind of endings as i mentioned my boyfriend hates those kind of endings after we saw the gone girl film he was utterly fuming at the ending of gone girl but i was like they can't do it any other way Because it changes the message of the book and you need to know what your message is, what you're trying to say, what your theme is, because then that helps inform whether or not you have that happy ever after, whether you've got some sort of moral question where it's all cyclical and nothing has really changed and no one has really learned anything. Or maybe you've got something in between where some things have worked out for the better and some things have just fallen apart because that's
1: life. That is life. I, it sounds like Jodie Pico did it really well. There are things I've watched and read that don't do it well, and that's another thing I wanted to mention here: is you can leave it open ended. If you do it well, you can leave that question on the reader's mind, but don't leave it too open ended. There was a series I watched recently where it was kind of not exactly a who done exactly, but. There was something bad going on. They didn't know who did it. There were lots of suspects, basically. I
0: kind of feel like the way it was marketed, it was a whodunit, though. That, I think, is inherently the problem. And, like, yeah. I, I think we should name this one just because I've read so much about it online. People will figure it out anyway. I do. Okay. The,
1: the Netflix did a series called The Watcher, which is based on a true story. And if you're um, a fan of true crime, you're already aware of
0: what the story is and the fact it doesn't have a conclusion. And I... I don't know if you're aware of this, Ellie, but the family this happened to actually told the people creating the show that they could change the ending to make it more satisfying for the audience.
1: And they didn't. Well, because at the moment, yeah, you spend the whole series thinking maybe it's person A, person B, person C. And they've kind of they kind of set it up as red herrings all the way through as it could be any of them. So on the last episode, you were expecting to find out who did do it. who done it. Um, and they don't tell you, they just leave it as if it could have been any of them, could have been none of them, could have been someone completely random, could have been made up, could have been a ghost, do you know what I mean? You, not, probably not a ghost, but you know what I mean? It. They don't in any way suggest who it could be, and they certainly don't give you the satisfaction of telling you who it was. And also they added a load of stuff in that wasn't real. Like there's, I can't remember the actual true crime story, to be honest with you, but they added all these tunnels under the house, which apparently weren't in the original... they're not no um I'll see if I can find it but there is a really
0: good podcast that I watch I watch I listen to we can watch (laughs) it it's on YouTube as well called the casual criminalist yes casual criminalist that's I don't know why that's hard for me to say (laughs) um and that's how I know about this and how even though I've not watched it I am aware of what happened and how true or not true it is that. And also I waited because I wanted to see what the ending was from other people talking about it because I knew there was no ending to the actual story. So I thought, well, how can it be a satisfying TV show? Yeah.
1: And it's not. I binged it all in one day. That's how good the rest of the episodes were. And then I finished I finished it and I messaged you. I like. I need you to watch it. I finished it and I'm mad about the ending. <laughs>
0: yeah, I don't, I don't want to watch it. Like, well, well, there's an element of me that does, although I'm kind of bored of watching crime at the moment. That's why I've been binging Drop Dead D. Drop Dead Diva is still kind of crime, but not the same. <laughs> anyway, just not feeling that kind of thrillery stuff at the minute. And also, like, everything I've heard is just said, like, it's really good. But then, because it's so good, it builds up your expectations, almost like Lost or Heroes did back in the day. And then it shits a brick because they didn't know how to
1: end it. The cast were great. I really enjoyed the cast. It was like nice and moody. I loved all the, like the, the re- it felt really high budget as well, which was nice. And it was like, re- I don't know if drama is the right word, but it's kind of like a, a really good dramatization of the story I think that was really well done I'm just still mad that the ending they just went yeah we don't know who did it we're not going to suggest who did it you know we're not going to take advantage of that creative license and you know say x person did it but yeah I just I finished it I was like oh that's disappointing yeah and I think
0: certainly from what I've seen or read there weren't any breadcrumbs to help you figure it out either there wasn't anything to like be oh yeah, it's probably this person, but we're not going to spoon feed you and tell you who it is. Like there was nothing to
1: help you kind of fill the gap or... Well, um... it was even worse than that. They kind of suggested it was each one of them in different episodes kind of thing. Not in that kind of black and white way. It's not like, in this episode, it's Big Mo. In this episode, it's what's his face. I don't think her name was even Big Mo. It was Big something, I don't know. But do you know what I mean? It made out like it was loads of different people. There were red herrings for each different culprit. Or suspect, should I say, throughout, and then at the end it was just like, meh. That's yeah. Infuriating. <laughs> I don't have words. Like no words. No words. No. Don't do that, lovely, lovely writers, lovely listeners. Don't yeah, yeah do
0: because that. it it breaks that trust, it ruins that relationship you've established with your audience, right? And sometimes you can damage that and then it never repairs and that person never comes back to you because you damage that trust so much. Exactly right. Because
1: if you make out like you're going to reveal who a are... don't want to say killer because they didn't kill anyone. Did they kill anyone? I've forgotten it. But <laughs> You don't want to spend that whole time as if you're going to reveal the big bad and leaving red herrings as to who it might be to then not do it. That, that just, yeah, breaks the trust like you say
0: especially when the whole premise of the show or the book is based around that question whether it is a book or an episode of a tv show or a series of a tv show if you ask that question at the very start and it is the question that is asked even in the
1: trailer you have to answer it i'm sure i saw on amazon the other day that they've done a book of the series as well now and i wonder if it's Don't quote me on this because now I'm questioning my memory, as you know. But I wonder if they've done it literally like scene for scene of of the series or if they have actually utilised that creative licence and pinned it on someone.
0: No, I think it will be a novelised version of the TV show because they usually are. How disappointing. Let's move on. Like like what what you tend to get is sometimes more of the psychology in in a monologue,
1: but the general plot points are the same. Yes, very disappointing. Moving on to our final point, then I wanted to spend some time talking about the difference between a plot twist, which is a good way to end a book and a complete bait and switch. Now the two may seem similar, but there are differences in the way that the reader or the audience will respond. So the plot twist, for instance, may come as a surprise when it's first revealed when it's first read but in actual fact the reader will think oh that does make sense because you've left all these breadcrumbs throughout the story and so even if they didn't see it coming it will make sense upon reveal although some readers will see it coming and that's okay that's okay It means you've left some breadcrumbs some readers are gonna work it out if everyone works it out then maybe you've left too many breadcrumbs you need to pull some of those back put them back in your little breadcrumb bag but Most people are not going to work it out and that's good. You don't necessarily want them to. The difference between that and a bait and switch is the bait and switch will leave those breadcrumbs all the way through as if it's going to be that particular ending and then just change it. It comes completely out of the blue. It doesn't make sense. Those breadcrumbs are no longer relevant. Bad breadcrumbs. And then the reader or the watcher i should say i no, not the watcher the reader <laughs> the reader is left feeling like where the fuck did that come from because that's not satisfying then it doesn't make sense and there are some big name tv series that have tried this recently and it's just pissed everyone off people don't really enjoy the bait and switch it may feel like clever writing at the time but you don't want to completely surprise all of your readers that's in my opinion, bad writing, because it shouldn't be that much of a surprise. You should be working up to something that feels like it makes sense, not working up to something and then have a big surprise at the end that no one wanted or was expecting. Exactly. Like you say,
0: it's not clever writing. And the showing question, I do think it's another one we should name because everyone's going to figure it out. Go on I mean?
1: there. We, we've nailed and shamed this writer anyway. So, uh, oh yeah,
0: fair point. Um,
1: different in the books, but...
0: <laughs> it- It's a Game of Thrones, and I haven't seen it. I stopped after about season two or three. I I struggle with epic fantasy anyway, some people know. And yeah, at at the time, I knew a lot of people who watched the show. I worked with some diehard fans, and the sheer level of disappointment coming from those people because of the level of bait and switch, and the fact it didn't feel as twisty as what had happened in season one. Season one, the twists were done well, And season six, was it? I think didn't have as much thought, I don't think. I don't know how much time they had to put it together, but I am aware that the showrunners wanted to move on and George R. R. Martin would have given them materials so that they could keep going. And I believe he offered to help them and they just wanted to get it out of the way, essentially. And I think that's the same issue that the book series that I referenced at the start had, which was that the writer was ready to move on and so they rushed the ending.
1: Which is disappointing. Like, people had invested a lot of time, a hell of a lot of hours in that series and waiting for the series as well, waiting for the final season to come out, to then be sort of have kicked in the face, so to speak, <laughs> by the writers. Like, how frustrating, how annoying. That base and switch is is kind of doing a disservice to your readers because they're expecting a certain thing, they're invested in a certain storyline. To just give them something out of the blue is, is a massive disservice.
0: I agree. And I think this goes against a lot of wisdom in terms of sales, but not in terms of creativity and reader loyalty. But you are better off taking a step back from that series than half fasting the ending or making it unsatisfying. Because the last thing you want to do is let your readers down because they are the people who trust you with their money and their time. And if you break that, particularly when you've, when someone's invested, you know, six, seven, however many years, 10, 20 books in you, if you let them down after that scale of investment, there is a high chance they're not going to come back and they're going to remember that level of disappointment. They're not going to remember
1: how much they enjoyed the journey. Exactly. And the other thing is, if they hated the ending that much, they're going to tell all of their friends they hated the ending. If they're on social media, they're going to post it on social media that they hated the ending. And then, even though you can't see the power of that word of mouth, so many more people, even if they've not read any of the series, are going to be put off, your series going to be put off you as an author, because their friend Jim hated the series. Yeah, and we generally
0: don't name bad examples, because we know that it is hard enough to get sales as an author. but. And, and you know, regardless of whether or not you enjoy a book, someone still spent a lot of time on that. They spent a lot of energy. They might have spent a lot of money on it. And I don't think it's fair to badmouth people. But I think sometimes when there are large corporations and when everyone is saying the same thing, it's slightly different because you're going to figure it out anyway. So we might as well just tell exactly. you and then you can let us know what you think in the comments or on our Facebook group.
1: But we wouldn't do that about... Small, I would never want to do that about smaller authors, indie publishers and stuff, indie authors and stuff, because it's No, not fair. because they, it's a lot of work.
0: A lot of indie authors are doing it on their own and with a couple of people for support. Then some of these big shows, they have hundreds, if not thousands of people working on them. And I do think some of them should be held to account. They have million pound budgets and they can't come up with a better plot device or a better ending that makes people happy. I'm fairly sure, in fact, that one of the stars of the show has even since come out and said that was the wrong ending, if not more of them. I wouldn't be surprised. But obviously they couldn't do it at the time. They needed some level of distance first because you don't want it to look like you're biting the hand that feeds you. But, you know, the, the fans are loyal to the actors as much as the world. And I almost think that one of the actors admitting that makes the fans like that person more because they're on the same wavelength and basically everyone just united in sly hatred of the showrunners I think.
1: Yeah because unfortunately people are going to hold it against the writers and the producers right they're not going to hold it against the actors.
0: No exactly because the actors were just doing what they were told to and some actors do get a bit more of a say and they can push back but it's usually on small things like a line of dialogue or maybe a scene they couldn't push back on the entire narrative of the whole series and go this is completely wrong to what we've been building up for the last five years that they don't have that level of sway no exactly so
1: yeah cautionary tale with your books you do have that sway with your books you do you can do right by your characters you can do right by your readers
0: yeah and like i said i do think it is better to take a break and do something better than to rush it and that's why i pushed back my launch of the witch's set not the Witcher's sacrifice that's out now of the mean girls murder because i could do it for the date i had set but for a lot of reasons like the sheer fact that i need to take a break from writing fiction at the moment and take it really at my own pace and not have that pressure and also the fact that i'd plan to release it in december which is a really bad idea in terms of when you need to finish things for like retailers and stuff because usually you have to submit things two weeks before the deadline and I'm not going to have it two weeks before I-, I-, I need that buffer so yeah I pushed it back because I still want this book to be as good or if not better than The Witch's Sacrifice and without that time and that headspace it's going to be a lot harder but I know that the real fans of Neve and Edie and Ben and Fadil and Maggie and Josh and all of them will wait because they would rather have something satisfying for those characters, and they value my physical and mental health. It's
1: more important Oh yeah, 100%. And that's a big thing that we support here, isn't it? Taking care of yourself, knowing your, what your body is telling you, and doing what's right for yourself and your mental health at the time. Like, your readers aren't going anywhere, you know, they want the book, they want the series, they want the characters, and they want your writing. So they're more likely to support you taking those couple months or so and doing whatever you need to do. Then, you know, then no one's going to be banging at your door saying, Where's the book? <laughs> I mean, you might get people saying that. But if you it's tell me, them why it's you're me, not it's me. I'm doing at the door. Here... <laughs> I'm at the door saying, Where's the
0: book? <laughs> like, I'll be honest, you may lose some readers because there are people who binge read and then don't connect with you via email or on social. So they don't know what's going on and then they forget about the next book. But your hardcore readers become invested in you as a person. They become invested in your characters as people. And so they are much more likely to understand. And they are also the people who spread the word about your books when it comes out. And it is those types of readers that build a career, not just the people who read casually and then forget about you, which is what a lot of people will do. But if you've got a lot of people doing that, then maybe it's time to think about your approach to writing.
1: That's a that's a big topic for another day. Jeez, yes, drop please. the bomb. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> we'll see you next week. bye no, that... we won't. No, this is the last episode. Oh my goodness. What a climax for 2022. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not that we did you that see what I did there? <laughs> <laughs> I think it was intentional and I forgot it was intentional. I just thought I was really clever just then. <laughs> it,
0: no, it was intentional like for the last six months I've wanted to do it. I've always Mm. wanted to end the season on this topic. We've just not got to recording this
1: episode. (laughs) And who doesn't love ending on a climax, right? Exactly.
0: Have a great holiday period and we will see you very soon.
1: If you found this episode interesting or helpful, make sure you subscribe to The Writer's Mindset on YouTube or your favourite podcast platform. Or all of them, we don't mind.
0: Everything from a like to a rating to a review to a subscribe to shouting about us on social media helps us to reach more writers so that they can overcome the mindset issues that are holding them back with their writing too.
1: If you're on social media, come join us on Instagram at writersmindsetpod or join our Facebook group, which you can find by searching for The Writer's Mindset.
0: And don't forget to come join us over on Patreon for our bonus series, Healthy Habits.
1: See you next time.
0: Keep writing.